What does every startup company have in common? Chaos. Welcome to Don't Freak Out Today, Freak Out Tomorrow. I'm your host, Lee Ellermeyer. Each week, we're taking a deep dive into what it's like to start a company, manage the chaos, maybe freak out, but not lose your mind. Thanks for tuning in to our inaugural episode of Don't Freak Out Today, Freak Out Tomorrow. With me today is my co-host, Wendy McGowan-Ellis. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Lee. I'm so honored and so glad to be here. This is so exciting. I know this has been on your mind to get this podcast started for a while. So here we are, inaugural episode one. So Wendy is a fellow serial entrepreneur. Wendy, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Yep. So my background with entrepreneurship actually started when I was 14. Um, I looked around at all of my friends who were babysitting, um, you know, hostessing at Bennigan's back in those days. Um, And I decided that I would be an entrepreneur in the way of hosting private cheer coaching lessons. And so back in the early 80s, I was charging $50 an hour for private cheer coaching lessons to girls who were in elementary school and junior high trying to make their, you know, their grades uh, cheer squad. And that that was kind of my first, you know, taste and understanding of, hey, when you own the thing, you're the one putting more money in your pocket rather than when you're not the one who owns the thing. I bet you bought some cool clothes with that $50 an hour. I had great bank (laughs) from January to April is when I made all of my money every year. Um, And yeah, but that was a big lesson. I mean, I then went off to college and got degrees in economics and government from UT. But before I graduated from college, I, again, started another business and have gone on to start several companies since then. So yeah, so I'm right there with you with the um, having an idea starting an idea and then executing on the idea. Yeah. And, that, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Yeah. Um, that whole process that those of us who decide we want to try something go through. And I just want to let you know, this podcast is not just for people who've already started a company. It's for all of you that are sitting there on the edge of your seat thinking, should I or shouldn't I? What it's really like? What happens when I succeed? What happens should I fail? And I think every entrepreneur you've talked to, uh, Wendy and and me too, who's gone through it more than once, it's not all success. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a huge lesson. But today we're going to talk first about Lee's first entrepreneurial venture, Lingual Care. Lingual Care was a medical device company that Lee started in 2003, pardon me, and sold it to 3M for a schload of money. I'm just going to say that. Um, Lee actually wrote a book about that entire experience called Finding the Exit. It's not where you start. It's where you finish. And I just want to say that Lee's book is literally in my top five on my bookshelf. Like I have Thank read you. the thing. It, I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, it's true. Yeah, I've read it several times. Lee talks about not only her experience with building the business, but also what she was going 
going through personally through the entire venture. Um, And so I think that's what you're going to hear in this podcast as we move forth is that Lee's going to tie in lessons learned and things that are important to her, not only from a business perspective, but what that means for a woman also balancing family and marriage and children and everything else that goes along with life. So I'm going to kick off the questions. Lee, tell me about Lingual Care. What did the company do? So Lingual Care was a medical device company. Uh, We made orthodontic braces. Uh, If everybody's had those, you know, the painful, lovely railroad tracks on the front of your teeth. We made orthodontic braces that went behind your teeth. Mm. And it was really a revolutionary product at the time because we were one of the first to use um, 3D printing to make the product and a lot of CAD CAM technologies that back at that time were just not being used to make patient-specific appliances. And the, the value of that was that by making it specific to that person, we were able to make the brackets really small. And we bent the wires with robots. It was very high tech. But by making it small, it was very comfortable. By using those high tech wires, it made the treatment go faster. So it was really a revolutionary product at the time. Okay. So tell us about your background. Were you in dental orthodontia? I mean, what were you doing when you decided to start this company? Okay. I know just enough about dentistry to be dangerous. So let me start (laughs) there. Um. So my background, I have a degree in political science and history, and I also have an MBA. I originally got the political science degree because I thought I wanted to go to law school. In college, I worked at a law firm in El Paso, Texas, and just observing that, I realized, hey, maybe I don't really want to be a lawyer. I like the study of law, but that day-to-day practice, that reality is probably not for me. Um, And so I ended up going to business school and got an, uh, an international MBA. And I like to tell a story when I was getting out of school, you know, everybody's interviewing at all these big companies and these, they come to campus and it's a big thing. How many are on your sheet? Who are you talking to? And out of nowhere, I got a phone call from this company in Berkeley, California called GeoWorks. They were a software startup. And at the time I thought, you know, I want to do something big. So I was thinking commodities trading, you know, that seemed like a really cool, big thing to do. But I was going to school in Phoenix. It was 115 degrees outside, and I had never been to California. And I thought, wow, I'm going to get a free trip to San Francisco. <laughs> I love it. So how awesome is that? Yeah. Right? I'd like to say I had more better intention and planning going into this, but I clearly did not. So I, I take the interview, and over my first plate of authentic Thai food, this fantastic entrepreneur by the name of Brian Doherty. Brian has started multiple companies. You know, he started back at Atari, you know, long, long, wow. long before. Yeah. Um, Brian convinced me that GeoWorks could beat Microsoft at the operating system game. And I was so naive. I believed him. Right. I totally bought in. By the time I get back to school, forget about the commodities trading. I actually had a job almost lined up in that. I'm going to GeoWorks, I'm going to Berkeley, I'm going to change the world. And I was so excited about it. And I tell my friends, hey, I've got this opportunity, I'm going to get stock options. And they're all like, what are you doing? Will that company even be around in two years? And I stopped and I thought, well, I don't know, but 
that's okay if it's not. I'll figure out something else yeah. then. Right now, this is what I want to do. That's the sign of a true entrepreneur, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two years, that's a lifetime away. Let's just throw <laughs> caution into the wind. That's right. Um, and so, you know, I loved the energy of that entrepreneurial company. Anybody who's worked in a tech startup has probably felt the same feelings about you're with smart people, everybody's very motivated, you just believe you can do anything, right? And so I loved it. And that's, you know, that's how I got started. I spent 10 years in software working for a little bit larger companies, a little bit smaller companies. But one of the things that happened at the end of my tenure at GeoWorks that really convinced me that this is what I wanted to do is the company went public. And I had a little bit of stock. You know, I was pretty low on the totem pole, so it wasn't like, you know, I, I made life-changing money. But it was pretty life-changing for me. It's like I got a new car and some decent furniture. I got rid of those college milk crates that were still serving as bookshelves yep. in my apartment. Yep. And I saw the possibility of it. And, and that's really what I loved. Um, in 2000, the very beginning of 2000, I was looking for a job. I'd been with a software company. Um, actually, it was more like end of 99, end of 99, early 2000. And they had sold to CompuWare, which is a big systems integrator in Detroit, most of their software. And there were some products that were left in the portfolio that were just kind of maintenance products. I didn't want to do it anymore. So I'm looking around. I meet these guys who have just started this orthodontic software company. What I know about orthodontics at the time, other than my own experience having braces, yeah. which was terrible. Um, but they had made these platform technologies for scanning your teeth, um, robotically bending the wires to move your teeth to the correct position. They had this great treatment planning software, intraoral imaging. It was very cool. And it was one of the first jobs I'd ever taken where I could really explain to my mom what I did. Mm. Right. It wasn't, you know, some software as a service or, yeah. you know, complicated testing tool software. So I was I was really excited about it. And I, I so I took the leap into healthcare. And uh, I was there for about three years before I left with the founder of that company to start Lingual Care. Okay. And that's kind of a different story. Though. Okay. So what was the thing that convinced you to leave your job at that time and take that leap? Um, you know, that is actually a question I love asking other people because you're sitting there thinking about this possibility, you know, and I, for me, I always fall in love with an idea first. Mm -hmm. And it's like almost falling in love with a person, right? You sort of imagine this future of what it can be and how it's going to feel when you're in it. It's going to be great and all the stuff you can do. And then you get that reality of, okay, I'm going to leave a job and I'm going to leave my paycheck behind. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have insurance. There's nobody to book my travel. It's just going to be me. Um, how do you get to that point where you're just willing to do that? Um, I didn't leave. I'm going to say I was somewhat reluctant. Okay. Okay. Because I, I loved the company. I love what we were doing. The company went through a difficult time. They ended up hiring a new CEO um, and he and I just didn't mesh. And one day I was in New York and I get a phone call from a friend who said, hey, um, I, think, I think those guys are shopping your job. He was a, my friend was an executive recruiter. He said, I just saw a spec and he starts reading it and it's basically my job. Oh my. So okay. I'm thinking, okay. And it was very, it was crushing to me actually, because 
as the company had gone through these difficulties, I had really stepped up and basically mm-hmm. filled in the CEO role. We lost our CEO. We raised money in the aftermath of September 11th with no CEO. Right. With me and my co-founder, Rutger, um, basically taking the company forward. And so I expected some appreciation for that, some recognition from the board that, wow, thanks. I didn't ask for anything. I didn't say, oh, I want more stock or you have to pay me more money. I just did it. It was instinctual. Mm -hmm. And so then to find out that they bring this new guy on board and his first step is to want to kill me. Right. Feels pretty terrible. And I wasn't sure what to do. So I, I'm, I'm, I was actually on a, in a cab on my way to LaGuardia. I fly home and I think, you know what? I'm going to go confront him because if he's going to get rid of me, he's going to get rid of me. And I'd like mm-hmm. to know why. So I went to the office. He was still there. And I said, hey, I, I hear I'm on the upgrade list. I love the um, way you put that. Okay. And he just, because he, he had made a comment at one of the board meetings prior about needing to upgrade some of the talent at mm. the company. Right. So, hey, I'm, uh, I understand I'm on the upgrade list. And he sort of hemmed and hawed around it. And he said, well, I think that your job uh, really is going to require two people. At the time, I was running sales and marketing okay. and implementation because we were in a beta phase. The product hadn't shipped. And marketing is my love. Product marketing is my love. And he was wanted to bring in someone to run product marketing and wanted me to run sales. I didn't want to run sales. I had a five-year-old. Yeah. I didn't want to be a road warrior. Yeah. But um, I thought, well, what am I going to do? So I leave and uh, he brings this guy in. It's a friend of his. The friend has less experience than me, less education than me, has not spent one day in dentistry and when I get the financials that first month, he's on board. I read through and I realize he's making more money. Oh, my. They've given him more stock. And I, I feel crushed. Yeah. Crushed, right? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I've got so much loyalty to this company. And that moment of realizing they don't have any loyalty to me. Right. I'm disposable. And so I went to see a board member and I asked him about it. And I said, this seems so unfair. And he was very cavalier about it. He said, well, you know, we just call that a mulligan. And I said, what are you talking, you know, don't don't throw golf terminology at me. And he said, well, you know, every CEO has one. You get some guy in the company who doesn't really fit. You end up paying him too much money. You don't really get it. But, you know, you hired a CEO. You have to let him run the company. So what else are you going to do? We okay. have to. So basically his, his answer to me was suck it up. Yeah. And I just couldn't get past it. Yeah. You know, and when this guy shows up, um, not only does he turn out to be not very qualified, he has this incredibly weird habit. And, and I just bring this up because it was so crushing when I realized it. This guy is sitting in the office and in meetings sucking on the collar of his shirts like he's chewing on it whoa yeah in big meetings and 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 then it's like all the saliva is staining down to like the collarbone of his shirt he needed a pacifier yeah and i'm sitting there watching this i'm like wow really this (laughs) This is my replacement (laughs) this is my replacement for half my job making more money i just couldn't take it yeah okay so 
that's probably a very long story <laughs> to a, a short question. But and then there, the, the flip side of it was um, we had had this idea of the brackets that went behind your teeth. And we were working at that company I was with with an orthodontist in Germany who had been developing it. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to license it. And I'd been trying to talk the company into licensing it. And I wasn't getting any traction. And then one day, Rutger, uh, who ended up being my co-founder at that time, he was the CEO of the company we were with, said to me, stop selling that lingual idea. Let's see if we can get it ourselves and start a new company. Okay. And so that... That was the genesis. That was the genesis. And I thought, you know what? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I've raised... At that point, you know, I I should probably mention, I had raised money for a couple different companies. Um, I, at that time, I'd probably raised about $42 million total. So I was no stranger to venture capital fundraising. What I didn't realize was that after September 11th, the whole market changed. And yeah. raising money became much more difficult. But that's a different story. Yeah. So yeah. so that's, that's how I initially ended up taking that leap um, and realizing that I would so regret it if yeah. I stayed in that company and had to basically swallow my pride every single day. Mm-hmm. It was like falling out of love. Yes. It's like catching your boyfriend cheating or something. Yeah, exactly. And then you decide to stay in the relationship. No. And, and it's never the same. It's yeah. You yeah. never you never recover from at least most people that I know, I never did. I could right. never get past it. Right. Um so that that was the genesis. Okay. So what impact did that leaving have on your home life? What was the situation there? Well, it was not great timing. At the time, my husband was unemployed. <laughs> I was Not good. I, I was the sole breadwinner, and I had a five-year-old. Um, my husband was not feeling great at the time. I mean, struggling to find the right kind of work. Right. And, you know, I've got a, a child. My job was providing insurance for everybody. So it was not ideal. Um, he wasn't very excited about it. And... All I could say to him was, look, I'm going to get this thing funded. I promise I'm going to get it funded. Mm-hmm. And then that puts so much pressure on me. Yeah. And and I, I think that this is true for a lot of women who work. I know it was true for me. Even though I worked, even though I contributed substantially to the household, I was still on the hook for what are we having for dinner? Yeah, exactly. What's going on at the Thanksgiving? The second job. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, the parties, the birthday cakes, the the house, yeah, the PTA mom <laughs> duties, yes. All those things, like, oh, Will's got a birthday party. Uh, did you get him a gift card for yeah. the, the kid, and who's going to drop him off? Yeah. It always landed, at least even if I didn't have to do the activity, I at least had to be the one thinking about it yep. and planning it and yep. getting someone, if it wasn't me, to execute it. And that's a lot to hold in your brain. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, well, especially while trying to navigate a a successful startup. I mean, especially in the beginning when it's so vital. So you leave. Now you've got two co-founders. How did you decide who was going to do what within this new company? Yes. So I I left the company and two of the technical guys from the, the prior company came with me. Okay. Uh, Rutger and Thomas. Okay. Thomas was a systems engineer. Rutger was a mechanical engineer, but also an inventor. And he had founded the prior business we were at. Okay. So he had gone through the venture capital raising process. He was very business savvy. He understood the regulatory side. 
Um, I was just really a sales and marketing person. Okay. Honestly, the first time I told somebody I was a CEO, I thought I needed to take it back. It's like, oh, April Fool's. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. I expected it's, them to call that... me on it. Oh, yeah. you're a CEO? Wow. Yeah. How'd that happen? Yeah. So I agreed to take the CEO role because we were basing the company in the U.S. Both of them lived in Germany at okay. the time. Okay. Right. But we knew we wanted a U.S. company. Um, we were able to negotiate a deal with the other uh, inventor on the system, this orthodontist in Germany. And he basically gave us North and South America as our markets, exclusive licensing to the technology. We did kind of a crazy deal. I'll, I'll give you just a, a little bit of it. So this te technology had been developed with Rutger and Thomas and mm -hmm. this doctor. When our prior company decided they didn't want anything to do with it, it all reverted back to the doctor. Okay. Um, but he didn't care about the U.S. He right. didn't. He didn't think there was any business there. So he's right. like, hey, if you guys will continue to help me on the, the development, on manufacturing technologies, which is what those two guys are really good at, I'll go ahead and just give you this territory. Okay. So we had exclusive rights to North and South America for all of the intellectual property. And my two partners ended up writing most of the patents, even for the, for the European side. So it was really a good deal for all of us. I okay. think everybody brought something to the table that was helpful. So what do you consider to be the biggest challenges you faced in those first years? Um, I think that as soon as you start something and you get on other people's radar, people start feeling like, oh, what are they doing in this space? Are they mm -hmm. going to infringe on what I'm doing? Is their idea better than my idea? And one of the very first things that happened to us when we founded the company, started talking about the technology and how we were going to roll it out is one of the biggest companies in our industry threatened us with a patent infringement lawsuit. Wow. I mean, we weren't even really in business three months and their CEO caught me at a trade show and said, by the way, I think you guys are violating our intellectual property, which is terrible because as a technology company trying to raise money, you have to disclose that. Right. You can't keep that a secret. Right. And what we ended up doing ultimately to get past that, we didn't want to admit any wrongdoing because we didn't believe that we were. But as a startup company with no money, you can't hire lawyers. Right. You can't defend it. You know, and, and I tell people all the time, look, you can have an invention and a patent, but unless you've got the money to defend it, your patent is basically not worth a whole lot. Mm -hmm. So we ended up going to them and saying, look, we don't think we're infringing, but we understand that you guys have made big investments in this space and you do have some patents that are interesting to us. So what we would like to do is make you a reseller of our product. We will pay you a commission on everything that sells. And in exchange for that, we would like to have a license for all of your patents that are applicable to this space. Okay. And if the thing falls apart on the marketing and sales side, we want to continue to have that license at a predetermined rate and a promise that you won't sue us for infringement. Okay. Which it, they did. Awesome. And I, I tell that story because people don't understand um, the difference between uh, assessing risk that is known and assessing risk that is unknown, there's just one thing. Unknown risk is always high, high, high risk. Yep. If you can't put a number on it, people are, are going to assume that it's probably four or five times riskier than what it actually is. Yeah. But 
if you can quantify a risk and say, okay, our worst downside is that this agreement goes away and we end up paying these guys 7%, then you can quantify that and mm-hmm. it's easier to know. So it actually turned out great because we were able to turn our worst enemy into our best friend. So instead of telling an investor, oh, we're probably going to be sued for patent infringement by the largest company in the industry, we could say, oh, did you know the largest company in the industry is our distributor? Right. Right. They did. That's a different story. It's a very different story. They didn't do the work we expected them to do, but that was okay. At least they weren't going to bring us down. We and got to. Did live. it give you the halo effect also? Yes. To, of having that large brand? Yeah, I would think so. So I have a note on here. Um, the something about running out of money. Oh yes, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Lee, thank you so much for today. I hope you enjoyed this, your very first podcast. And thank you listeners for joining us on our female founder journey to manage the chaos without losing our minds. We invite you to download and subscribe to this Don't Freak Out Today, Freak Out Tomorrow with Lee Ellermeyer podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, wherever you like to listen. And please visit Lee's website at don'tfreakouttoday.com for links to all her social media, resources for entrepreneurs, and to subscribe to her email list and stay up to date on everything in Lee's world. You can also there on her site find out more about Lee's book, Finding the Exit, where you can hear and read all of the details about things that we talked about today and her journey. And check it out on Amazon.com where it's available for hard copy purchase, Kindle format, or as an audiobook read by Lee herself, which is awesome. Thank you, Wendy, and special thanks to our listeners. This is the start of a unique path where each week I'll be sharing my lessons learned and bringing on amazing women who have other lessons to teach all of us. And don't forget, don't freak out today. Freak out tomorrow.